Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Thank you for another opportunity to praise you and worship you together. We pray, Lord God, that as we gather, you would speak to us, Lord, that you would break down our barriers and fences which we have put up to keep you out, Lord, and that you would soften our hardened hearts. We pray, Lord God, that the light of your gospel would shine brightly today, Lord, and that we would fall in love with you afresh today. And we pray that you would give me your words to proclaim and that you would fill us all with your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is great to see you all today. Well, on Wednesday, I went to go pick up a used engine to put in my old 1968 Land Cruiser. I had found this engine on, Craig, on Craigslist, which guaranteed it was going to be a good one, right? Yeah. So when I showed up, things were a little sketchy, right? Uh, the engine had a um, pine cone in the intake. I don't know if that's some kind of um, like eco-friendly air filter or not, but it probably wasn't supposed to be in there is my guess. Uh, it also uh, was missing a few pieces that I thought were supposed to be there. But nonetheless, it looked like it was going to be okay, right? Yeah. So we go to put it in the back of my truck, right? Uh, I built, or in the back of my dad's truck, I would borrowed it for that evening. And I built a little cradle that the engine was going to sit in in there and ride like a peaceful as a baby all the way back home. The problem was getting it in the back of the car, right? The guy had borrowed an engine hoist from a friend, and he said, well, do you have a chain? He asked me when I'm already down an antelope. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't have a chain in like my pocket or anything. And so he rigged up this contraption to attach to the hoist, the engine hoist, with uh, a little thin ratchet strap, right? Is this a good thing? Or do you see good things coming at this point? Now, in case you don't know, like a small block Chevy is not a super heavy engine, but you're looking at like 300, 400 pounds with all the accessories and stuff on it and fluids in it, right? It's a, it's a good chunk of steel. And so he goes and starts cranking that thing up. And then I'm like, Ella, we should scoot back because Ella was with me. I'm like, this might not go well. And sure enough, snap, and then crunk, crunch. The engine snapped, or the strap snapped, engine fell to the ground, crunching down onto the oil pan and puncturing the oil pan. Bad news, right? Right? Bad news? Yeah. No, good news. Because out of the oil pan starts flowing fluid, which is clear and is water. And after the water came oil that looked like this. Right? Café au lait oil. Which is, you know, sounds nice, but it's really not. Right? Because it means it's been contaminated with water. Your oil's been contaminated with water. Now, is water supposed to be in the um, crankcase and down in the oil pan? That's not the natural place for water, is it? Is that where you want it? Is it like a benefit? You know, maybe he'd figured out some way of like heating his, his washer fluid for his windshield. You know, and so like when you go up in the mountains, it would keep it nice and warm and toasty. But no, that was not the case. Apparently then, um, as we were talking more about it, uh, he didn't think to disclose this to me earlier, but the engine had sat in a field for a few years, <laughs> right, without an air cleaner on top. And so air was pouring down into the intake, or water pouring down in the intake. Fortunately, it had been a drought, right, which is good. 
But also the oil cap wasn't on either, so water had been pouring down into the uh, where the oil's supposed to be, the oil filler area. And uh, so, did I get the engine? No. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. No, I didn't get it because you know what? It's a lot of work. Could it be repaired? Yes, it can. What does it take to repair it? Time and money. That's right, time and money. Enough time and money, the engine could be repaired. I mean, it was an engine. It had been running at some point. All it would take is tearing it all apart, piece by piece, taking all the rust and whatever had accumulated all inside of the thing out, and then rebuilding it back. It could be done. Did I want to do it? No. No, I didn't want to do it. It was too much work. There's other engines on Craigslist that are calling my name, right? <laughs> I didn't need to pull the trigger on that one. Somebody else, that can be somebody else's project. For me, it wasn't worth the challenge. The engine just wasn't worth it. Crunched up oil pan, missing pieces, full of water, wasn't worth it for me. In our own Old Testament passage for today, from the book of Isaiah, we have the account of someone speaking the promises of the Lord to the people of Israel. Now, interestingly, in this passage, uh, we have its, its first person, right? It uh, begins, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. The I, who is the I? We don't know. We're not sure who the I is at the beginning of our passage. It could be either the prophet Isaiah, or the Lord God, or it could be the Messiah. We're not sure who it is. Toward the end of our passage, it's clear that it's either God or the Messiah, right? Because it's, you know, it's talking about wedding being wedded to Jerusalem, and that's clearly not Isaiah at that point. But at the beginning, we're just not sure who it is. What we do know is that the speaker loves and cares for both Israel and for the Lord. Both of them are loved and cared for. Now, this seems completely natural to us. Who wouldn't care for Israel, and who wouldn't care for the Lord? Well, the reality is, is that Israel was pretty hard to love at this point, right? Israel was being pretty unlovable. They had forgotten pretty much everything that they had been called to by the Lord. They had left behind all that had made them distinctive as a people. They were on the verge of being exiled to Assyria and Babylon. This is, uh, in very many ways, Israel was acting very much like Justin Bieber two years ago. Right? If you were following him, right? We almost exiled him to Canada. We almost sent him back to Canada. Like, nobody loved him. He was, you guys weren't keeping up on Justin Bieber. Okay, well, if you want like a very close parallel, you should look at that, right? Behaving poorly, everything going wrong, right? Losing everything. That was very much like Israel was uh, millennia before Justin Bieber. And so they were on the verge of exile. They'd had a civil war. Brother had fought against brother. Brother, the nations were divided. One nation to the north, the other to the south. These people, chosen by God, had completely forgotten God and were worshiping the gods of their neighbors. Israel, the northern kingdom, had a series of 18 terrible kings. And Judah, the southern kingdom, had 11, some of them being okay, but the rest being terrible as well. Right? They had been led by bad people. They were being, um, doing terrible things. They were acting just like their neighbors. Things were going bad. The two nations were a mess, and the surrounding nations were breathing down their necks. 
In the midst of all this colossal failure, the Lord's promise for them shone bright and clear. He will redeem and vindicate Jerusalem, and it shall be visible to all. Our passage says, The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. Moreover, the promise is, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem, which is a crown, right? In the hand of your God. This little, dry, seemingly insignificant nation will be a crown of beauty in the hand of God. And like a crown on his head, Israel will show that the Lord is king. Why would God choose this nation to be like that? Why would he choose these people who are not known for anything distinctive necessarily? Not a particularly beautiful place. Not one that we would think would be the crown on the head of the Lord who cast the universe into being. The Lord who spun galaxies out and sent solar systems out into, our, into the universe. This God who spoke all life into being chooses this little nation to be his and to be a crown for him to show the world that he is king. But that's not all. Because it won't be merely a rescue. Rather, it will be a total transformation. God says, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. There will be a new name given to you. Now, tell me about naming. How did you name your children, if you named them? How did you name them? Got a book and looked at the list. And you saw maybe the name like, I don't know, Bob. And you thought, hey, Bob, that's a good name. But, oh, man, I got that. I had this this guy I knew in school, Bob. He was really irritating. He, like, chewed with his mouth open. And so you thought, no, not Bob. What about Mitch or something, right? Did you do this? You didn't do this. How did you name your kids? Family names? Family names, good. So you chose like the really irritating aunt or uncle? Is that right? Or did you choose the ones you respected and cared about or loved? How did you choose? Your dad. Why did you choose your dad, Joan? See, we choose these names that are significant because they have some meaning to us beyond just the name, right? It's a person who we respect or care about. We don't choose the irritating person or the one who always screamed or whatever. Or typically we don't, I guess. Maybe we do. Um, but we choose names that are significant, that will carry that, that significance with that person. Right? In the same way God was going to name this nation. He was going to give them a new name. A name that would separate them from the stigma and the identity that they had before. They would have a new name that would, that would convey fresh and beautiful meaning. He says, They shall no longer be called forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. Those were their old names, forsaken and desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Do you hear the love in there? Do you hear that new identity that Israel would have? No longer forsaken and desolate, 
which you've been, if you've been to Israel, there's a lot of desolate out there, right? Especially around like the, the Dead Sea. I mean, it is like desolate, totally desolate. But instead, my delight is in her and married. Then the Lord gets all gushy for his new bride and says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. We have here this honeymoon language. This joy that we've all seen when, uh, when you go to a wedding, right? And you see the bride coming down the aisle and you look at the groom's face. What do you see? Panic. Ah, oh, that was good. That was good. Panic. That is good. It doesn't work perfectly for the sermon, but... Happiness, joy, exactly, exactly. It should be panic on the face of the Lord when he sees his bride walking to him, right? When he sees us, but instead it's not. It's joy. It's like you see in that groom's eyes, it's like he's seeing his bride for the first time, right? For the first time. That beauty, the love, the, the desire to, to be with her, right? You see that on the groom's face. This bride is one we see um, in the same way the Lord will see Jerusalem in this way. That love, that, that commitment, that, um, does that um, sense of her beauty, the Lord will see that and will respond to it. It's the one he built, the one he called back from abandoning him, the one who he redeemed, the one who he renamed, the one he delights in, the one whom he married. This bride was chosen and redeemed by him because he loved her. He didn't choose her because of her potential. He didn't choose her because she was potentially the best out there. He chose Israel to be his bride because he chose Israel to be his bride. I mean, there's no other reason. He just did. So God works. In his grace, he doesn't choose people or things based on their potential, but he chooses them because he chooses them. That engine that I looked at on Wednesday night, it had potential, right? I mean, it was an engine, right? It had run. It wasn't like a ham sandwich. You know, can you turn a ham sandwich into an engine? No, no matter how much rehab you do, by the time you're done thinking, you're going to be hungry and you're going to eat the thing, right? But the engine... It could, be an, it could be a running engine again if I had wanted to invest the time and money into it. If I had wanted to tear it down, clean it, rebuild each piece, and put it all back together properly, it could run again. But for me, it wasn't worth it. I didn't want to extend myself for it. I didn't want like a several weeks long or months long process of redoing this engine. The engine wasn't worth it for me. It was junk. It's still sitting in the guy's driveway, probably weeping oil still. Fortunately, that's not how the Lord works. He is not like me. He is very different than me. And praise the Lord for that, because we are like that engine in so many ways. Right? You and I. God originally intended and built us for a purpose. The purpose of glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Yet we've not been used for that purpose. We've allowed ourselves to be filled with stuff that does not belong in us, like water in that engine. 
And when we allow that stuff in, the rust starts to grow. Right? The rot sets in, and we are damaged. Yet the great builder sees potential there. He doesn't choose us because of our potential, but he knows that he can bring new life to that. He sees hope where no one else sees hope, and he will and has restored us through the blood of his Son. Today, the great builder wants to restore us and to express his love for us, to marry us and to rejoice over us. Because the beautiful thing is, is that promise for Jerusalem about being given a new name, about being restored and married, that promise is ours in Christ. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And so you and I, as members of the church, the great church, not this church, the great church, we are married to Jesus Christ himself. We are his bride. He has chosen us. He has redeemed us. He has given us a new name. And he has married us. May God give us the grace to allow him to do this. And to allow us to be his bride. May he give us the mercy and the hope to see that, she, that he loves us so greatly. And it's not based on what we've done or what we will do. It is based purely on his mercy and his love. And may we respond to him with love and joy and serve him faithfully as his bride in this world, offering ourselves to him and worshiping him as our pure and perfect husband. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God who redeems and restores. You are the God who heals and sets free. Lord, and you are the God who has wed us. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Lord, we know that we have not been chosen because of our potential or our ability, but we have been chosen purely because you have chosen us, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to live faithfully as your bride, to love you, to serve you, to care for you, Lord, and to care about what you care about. We pray, Lord, that you would send us out into this world proclaiming your name, sharing your good news with the world. Lord, forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us, Lord, for those times when we wander far from you. Lord God, help us to be faithful, to serve you and to love you with singleness of heart. And may we understand the depth of your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.